0: I take myself way too seriously way too often when he says that we're children we're children, we're his kids we're sons and daughters most high, we get to approach his throne with confidence that he's going to sweep us up in his arms love on us That, that we don't have the expectation of judgment <laughs> when we go before him we can approach with confidence and receive his love <sighs> It is really good news. Um, Tracy was on to something, as usual, uh, when she said she doesn't want to realize one day that she's in love with a a dream and and not the dream giver. The the Lord told me almost uh, something the exact same during worship, but what he said is, um, you don't want to wake up one day and realize you're in love with a book and not the author. So we often just go through life living on principles and not the prince. And living out of a doctrine completely devoid of the doctor. And we need him so bad. He came <laughs> and said, he is the, the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say, I am the ministry, the calling, and the mission. Come on. Because, guys, your mission, ministry, whatever, your your calling, so to speak, what you think it is could completely fall apart. Your life could look like a wreck. You might lose everything, but you'll never lose him. And your friendship with him is the most important thing in your entire life. It is, the, it is the only thing that matters. It's your friendship with him. There, there are two, two values in my life that are like the overarching theme of everything that is important to me. Are you ready? Yeah. It's intimacy and adventure. Everything for me falls under those two categories. Because if you have, if you have intimacy... It means that you have deep friendship and fellowship with God and with one another. You don't have to be married to have intimacy, people. He is closer than a brother. He is closer than a husband or a wife. If you have intimacy, then you're going to experience the joy and the exhilaration of receiving love from a God whose words blow up cedars of Lebanon. His words twist up the oaks, but he speaks his love over you, and yet you do not explode. That is an exhilarating place to be. And adventure, it means that you have discovered that you are fully loved and accepted and empowered. That means that you get to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our God. So if you get to live your life with the fulfillment of knowing that you are loved and experiencing the friendship of Jesus, at the same time taking over the planet that we gave up, you're gonna have a fun life. Amen. It's gonna be a good time. This is really good news. Yeah! <laughs> it's really, really good news. Um, that, that last song, uh, the, the last line, the last chorus, or uh, verse, the verse three that David couldn't remember is, <laughs> free us from the poverty of begging for what's been given. And show us all our royalties so we can just start living. Do you know what, the, what happened in the garden with, with Eve is she was tempted in a way where she tried to gain something in her own strength that had already been given to her. Come on. Woo. The temptation was, eat this fruit and you'll be like him. Don't you want to be like him? She was made in his image already. The, The Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our own image. She was already like him. But what she tried to do was earn something that was a gift. The moment I try to earn something through performance that was already given me, I come under a curse. Come on. Uh. This is straight out of Galatians 3:10. <laughs> More Lord, deliver. Deliver us all. <laughs> In Galatians 3 it says that when we try to justify ourselves through works, we come under a curse. The, the thing about that, that word justified is that it's already done. The moment that you believe and receive Jesus, you are legally justified, which means you will never pay the penalty of sin. And Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. That's a big word, imputed, but it, it just means that you got it. <laughs> It's yours now. His righteousness is yours. That's good news. So you're, you're justified. Right now. I'm justified. Which means that there is no court that will ever find me guilty ever again. Come on. I am justified. You know, in, in the U.S. court system, once you're tried and acquitted of something, you can't be tried for it again. They actually picked that up out of the heavens. Our founding fathers were inspired by the Holy Spirit when they, when they came up with that one. Yeah. Guys, you cannot go on trial again. You are justified, you are made righteous. And so if we get to this place where we, we believe that we're not righteous, or we've sinned and what we, what we think we have to do when we sin is be real good for a while and work our way back into his good graces, that is a curse. Yeah. That is a straight up curse. Straight up. The moment you stop enjoying God, you came under a curse. That's what Galatians 3 is telling us. And in that garden, you know, if, if God were administratively in charge of the garden, if he were in control of the garden, then why did the curse fall on Adam and Eve? If he were the one that was in charge of the garden and things got screwed up, why did the curse fall on Adam and Eve? This is an important point. We have to understand that the world was entrusted to us. That God created earth and gave it to Adam and Eve to be his representative Authority over the planet. But what happened is we obeyed a fallen angel instead, and we gave this vile spirit authority to assert much of his evil will over the planet. And in God's justice, Since man dropped the ball, man has to get it back. But guys, that first question is actually a trick question. If God were administratively in control of the garden, why did the curse fall on Adam and Eve? When God was speaking out that curse, the conditions of the curse, he knew that his very own son, Jesus, would be the one to carry the full weight of that curse on his back. Every word that he spoke out, he was going to carry. So that we would see without a doubt that he loves us, that he loves us, that he'd do anything for us. He would actually become the curse and undo it. He would carry the full weight of it. Um, One of the the, uh, results of the curse, God said that the world is going to create thorns which means the world's got to protect itself from you now. The earth. It used to be just, it it would produce whatever fruit you wanted to eat pretty easily. But now it's gonna produce thorns because it doesn't really trust you. And so that that thorn, those thorns actually represent self-preservation which is a curse that landed on us too. We grew up all these thorns in our hearts thinking that we have to protect ourselves from one another. Keep people at an arm's length. These thorn bushes are all over the earth and all over us. In fact, the Middle East or the Israeli area, they actually call it a land of thorns. There are these, these crazy looking buckthorns that are as high as a man on a horse. And it, it renders many of the areas in Israel completely inaccessible because of these thorns when God spoke to Moses what did he appear in a a bush and we actually find out in, in Acts 7 verse 30 that it was a thorn bush he was already coming looking like the curse he was already inside it. When Abraham was gonna go sacrifice his son Isaac, where did the uh, the ram come from? The payment? Where did the sacrifice actually come from? A thicket. A thicket. A ram actually had his horns stuck in a thorn bush. The payment, the actual archetype of Jesus, which is Isaac in this moment. Isaac represents the sacrifice, but what comes is a ram with his head in a thorn bush. What was Jesus wearing on the cross? Guys, his head was stuck in thorns. This is, I mean, you cannot... Write this stuff. This is crazy that the curse was, involved thorns. Moses was spoke to out of the thorns. The Lord is always looking like a curse. And guys, he still comes sometimes looking exactly like a curse. When he shows up, a lot of times, no one believes it's him. When he shows up, your life might go to Poopooville. That's <laughs> <laughs> a real place in the spirit. <laughs> I have three children. That's one of the words we use every day. <laughs> when he spoke out that curse. He spoke out every word of it, knowing that he would carry the full weight of it for us to redeem us. Another part of that that curse was directed at the serpent. It says, You're you're gonna crawl on your belly and eat the dust of the earth. But the the seed of the woman, he's gonna crush your head. You might bruise his heel, he's gonna crush your head. And then Jesus comes along in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, and he says, Behold, I've given you authority to crush serpents. Isn't that good news? Yeah. <laughs> and I hear, this, I've been in this place, so, so don't think that I'm judging anyone here. But I've heard, I hear this a lot, like, you know, Satan, Satan's after me. He's, he's really giving me a hard time. no he's not after you you are after him he is actually directly underneath your size 10 converse right now oh <laughs> do you guys realize that you are the rest of his curse he is not a curse to you you are the rest of his curse he is terrified of you Come on. Ow! I'm I'm really tired of theology and end time preaching that reempowers a disempowered devil cuz my bible in colossians 2:15 says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities and he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross which means that Jesus stripped him butt naked and paraded him through the heavens so that the angels and the cloud of witnesses would see that Satan is completely stripped of power Come on. He, is, he has no more authority to harm you. It continues to say in Luke 10 that he has no authority to harm you. I'm tired of discernment being twisted into a tool that puts us on the defense. Come on. We are not on the defensive. We are on the offense. Right. We are violently, forcefully advancing the kingdom. His kingdom is forcefully advancing in your heart right now. You are forcefully advancing the kingdom. You are on the offense. Satan has like three, three schemes, and they're the same all throughout history. We don't have to worry about what he's planning. We're not on the defense. Come <laughs> out. who is it that enlightens us and reminds us that we are unpleasant sinful creatures to God Who is it that causes sin to increase? Who is it that tries to hold us prisoner? Who is it that tries to assert a manipulative control over us? Who is friends? Who is the guy that's friends with the religiously dead? The accuser, right? also known as the law. I actually just read you word for word everything that it says about the law in Romans 3.20, 5.20, Galatians 3.23, Galatians 3.24, 1 Timothy 1.9. It reminds us that we're unpleasant to God, causes sin to increase. It will hold you a prisoner. It will control you, and it is friends with the religiously dead. Who is it that condemns you and speaks against you? Figuratively, Moses. It's that curse that we try to put ourselves under in order to earn our way back into his good graces. That's the law. Would it be good news if the way that we justify ourselves and pay for sins is by murdering our pets and sacrificing them on burning altars? Would that be good news? No. That's not good news. That's old news. That's bad news. That's Old Testament news. All of the Old Testament, it was a question for which Jesus is the answer. Everything that happened was so that we could get to the point where we are crying out for a savior. That nothing in our own strength is working. The law is an ocean in which unbelievers drown in until they call for a savior. And he swoops in and picks us up out of that ocean and sets us on a rock called grace. It is unshakable. It is his works and not ours. Yes. It says that no one will be justified by the law.